You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Good afternoon, and welcome to the United States Institute of Peace. My name is Dr. Joseph Sani. I'm the Vice President for the Africa Center at the Institute. The United States Institute of Peace was established by the U.S. Congress in 1984 as a national, nonpartisan public institution dedicated to helping prevent, resolve, and mitigate conflict around the world. In Africa, we focus on mitigating the adverse effects of global powers and middle power competition. Also, we focus on addressing uh, fragility, different drivers of fragility, such as political instability, violence extremism, misinformation and disinformation, and also to strengthen peace builders, networks of peace builders, regional and local peace architectures. We are gathered today to launch the USIP's newly published report, China's Space Collaboration with Africa, Implications and Recommendations for the United States. But you may wonder why having this discussion at the US Institute of Peace, we will think that we may have the discussion at the United States Space Study or something. Why the United States Institute of Peace? Space exploration and the pursuit of ambitious space programs have been a significant part of the global agenda for various countries. As great powers vie for dominance in space, the risk of conflict between them looms large. Space programs play a crucial role in ensuring national security and strategic capabilities. Accordingly, the inability or failure to keep up with other great powers may be perceived as a threat to a nation's influence and geopolitical standing. In an environment where space assets are essential for intelligence gathering, communication, and military operation, disparities in capabilities could heighten tensions and create an atmosphere conducive to conflict. Space programs require substantial cooperation and information sharing between nations. However, as competition intensifies, the trust and willingness to cooperate may diminish. Misunderstandings, miscommunication, or deliberate disruptions in communication systems could easily escalate into full-blown conflicts. The absence of effective channels of, for dialogue and de-escalation only exacerbates the risk inherent in space programs. But gone are the days where space programs were only developed by few great powers. A new normal is emerging in space exploration and technological development. One where space programs are recognized as essential component of both economic growth and national security architectures in nations across the world, even in the global south. Since the start of the 21st century, numerous African countries have invested in the development of their space programs 
as a function of broader development and security goals. Today, space programs exist in over 20 African countries and are rapidly growing in number and investment rates. Several countries are in the process of developing their first satellites in Africa. Many of these African space programs are receiving funding from the Chinese government and work in collaboration with Chinese state-owned enterprises. China pushes space collaboration in Africa in a very intentional way by allocating funds and identifying areas of existing African prioritizations like climate change and counterterrorism effort for focused satellites development collaboration. Why US private and public institutions do collaborate with African countries in the space industry and program development, these efforts are not coordinated throughout current US foreign policies. As the US strategizes ways to deepen collaboration with African partners, it is important to understand why countries are choosing to partner with China. Now, our panelists will introduce the report and dive into its implication for the US African partners and the space industry. After the initial panel discussion, we invite you to ask questions via the online chat box for those who are following us online and for those in the room just to raise your hands and that will be easy. My colleague, Henry Todengard, will introduce today's panelists and thank you for listening. My mistake. <laughs> Good afternoon. Today's event will be moderated by Henry Tugendhat, an economist with the China team here at USIP. Tugendhat focuses on issues related to China's impact on conflict dynamics in Africa and Latin America. Prior to USIP, Tugendhat worked at the Institute of Development Studies in the United Kingdom, the China-Africa Research Initiative at Johns Hopkins University, and the World Bank Group's Macroeconomics Trade and Investment Team. He is currently finishing his PhD at Johns Hopkins University. Our report writers, Julie Klinger, and online we have Tamidayo Oniosun, will be joining us on our panel. Julie Klinger is an assistant professor in the Department of Geography and Spatial Sciences at the University of Delaware and faculty in the Minerals, Materials, and Society program. Dr. Klinger's research focuses on the dynamics of global resource frontiers and space-based technologies with particular emphasis in China, Brazil, and the United States. She has published numerous articles on rare earth elements, natural resource use, environmental politics, and outer space. Klinger holds a PhD in geography from the University of California, Berkeley. Tamidayo Oniosun is the founder and managing director of Space in Africa, the leading analytics and consulting company shaping the future of African space and the satellite industry. Prior to founding Space in Africa, he was the African Regional Coordinator for the Space Generation Advisory Council. He advises governments and commercial space players in the industry value chain and just recently led an African Union Commission baseline study on the socioeconomic benefits for the establishment and operationalization of the African Space Agency. Temidayo is a 2021 Forbes Africa 30 Under 30 award recipient and is a current PhD candidate at the University of Delaware. We would also like to welcome two panelists who will be joining us to discuss the implications of this important report today. 
Brian Whedon is the Director of Program Planning for the Secure World Foundation and has more than 20 years of professional experience in space operations and policy. He is a former member and chair of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Space Technologies and the former executive director of the Consortium for, executive, for Execution of Rendezvous and Servicing Operations. Prior to joining Secure World Foundation, Dr. Whedon served nine years as an active duty officer in the United States Air Force, where he worked in space and intercontinental ballistic missile operations. Dr. Whedon holds a PhD in public policy and public administration from George Washington University in the field of science and technology policy. Finally, last but not least, we have Kun Shin Lin, who is a professor of military and security studies at the Department of Space Power at the Air University, and is an adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced and International Studies. His current research focuses on great power competition in the space domain and in industrial policies of Asian superpowers. Prior to his current roles, he was a university lecturer at the Gonville and Caius College and directed the Center for Rising Powers and the Center for Geopolitics at the University of Cambridge. He was also a postdoctoral fellow in contemporary Chinese studies at the University of Oxford and taught at King's College London and at the National University of Singapore. Kunchen received his PhD and MA both in political science from the University of California, Berkeley. Thank you, I now turn it over to Henry Tugendhat. Thank you, and if I may, am I, am I on, can you hear me? Uh, and if I may also uh, briefly thank and introduce Lindsay Tearing, who is a program specialist uh, on our China team, focusing on China, Taiwan, and China-Africa issues. Um, well, look, I'm going to uh, hand it straight over to Julian Temadayo to present their research uh, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, give us a, a succinct overview of everything you found, why it matters, and uh, where we go from here on uh, your report, and then we're going to move down the line and, and go to Brian and Professor Lin. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I'll hand it straight over to you. Thank you very much. All right, wonderful. Thank you very much, Henry. So in a couple minutes, uh, we'll give you a whirlwind tour of, of our research. Uh, but first, I want to say thank you uh, to Henry and the USIP for having us here and for fostering uh, this kind of policy-engaged research. Um, so just a couple of broad strokes. One of the things that we that really is motivating this research is um, a long-standing concern with the lack of appreciation for the dynamism of the global space sector. And we find this to be quite troubling, given that the infrastructure of outer space is essential to the infrastructure of everyday life. Right, so everyday life as we know it, whether we're talking about trade or communications or entertainment, relies on space-linked infrastructure. Um, vital infrastructure, such as public utilities, for example, also relies on, and it's increasingly integrated with, space-linked and space-based infrastructure. And so this makes the domain of outer space inseparable from our standard or perhaps more familiar security concerns. And so given this, uh, talking about and increasing the appreciation of the possibilities for peace and for peaceful collaboration in the space domain, we think is especially important. Um, so it's been a pleasure to uh, work with Tamadayo on this report uh, because we bring together uh, two very different backgrounds to what we hope in this report can answer uh, some 
persistent areas of uncertainty. So my own background is uh, deeply rooted in uh, several years of in-depth um, and long-term research uh, in China um, and looking at China's overseas activities uh, more broadly. Uh, Temadayo's expertise, um, he's at the forefront of the development of the space sector uh, on the continent of Africa. And so by our powers combined uh, and with our uh, multiple um, uh, linguistic and cultural interests and ties, um, we are very much invested in uh, the world and particularly the US government getting this right. right? So we understand also that this is a really challenging moment to be talking about space cooperation when we have the militarization of outer space that just seems to be running away, right? Um, so from the establishment of the United States Space Force uh, to, of course, the, um, <laughs> the related or complementary or reactive efforts um, that have occurred since then, and of course, even before um, the uh, the establishment of the U.S. Space Force, um, there were, of course, anti-satellite missile tests and various um, efforts to, various shows of force and capability that were occurring around the world. And all of these things fundamentally undermine um, outer space as the peaceful domain, uh, the peaceful province of all humankind. And in fact, it is the, that status of outer space as the peaceful province of all humankind that has enabled the development of modern life as we know it. I mean, think about it. We're talking in this report about satellite cooperation especially. But let's think for a moment about what a satellite is, right? A satellite is a very delicate and very expensive piece of technology that is a culmination of human scientific effort and achievement. And the fact that any country in the world, and in fact, um, many business entities, research entities, and what have you, have the confidence in the order of the international system to place these very delicate and expensive pieces of technology in orbit has been fundamental for so many of the conveniences that make modern life work. And also, these things are fundamental for achieving various socioeconomic and development goals. Um, so. With the big picture here, the other thing that I will say, um, and I'm not going to repeat the report in its entirety because you can read it at your leisure, um, but the other thing that I want to say is just to kind of sensitize the audience to the dynamics of China's space program. So we live in a time of intensifying tension between the US and China, and oversimplifications are rife, right? Um, and so, if there's anything that I can offer uh, the audience today, it's I'd like to give you a, a picture or a conceptual framework that helps you understand China's space sector and space industry. And then I'll hand it over to Temadayo to say a few words about the dynamism and trends in Africa's space sector. So um, the first thing, I'll actually start with the US. Uh, the, space, the space sector, the space industry in the US is dynamic. It is hybrid. You have your civilian, your military and your private sector components. And depending on the project, depending on the policy mandate, they all do or don't work together, right? And then of course, we, you have the proliferation of private sector entities, service providers, and a lot of innovation and activity happening in this space. You also, in this context, have a situation where not everyone knows what everyone else is doing, right? There are sometimes surprises. There are sometimes accidents. People sometimes step on people's toes. 
I think that the same can be said for China's space industry. Right? China, of course, has its flagship national space agency, CNSA, China National, China national Space Agency. But they work with uh, a number of state-owned enterprise, uh, state enterprises and private firms and a whole chain of subcontractors that are doing their best to cash in on the growth of the space sector. And this includes forging international partnerships, um, including with counterparts uh, in Africa. So I don't want to go over time here, uh, but I'll turn it over to Tamadayo to offer some comments to the public um, on the dynamism and growth of Africa's space sector. Thank you very much, Dr. Klinger. Um, generally, space program is growing in Africa. Uh, and space has now been identified as a critical tool to help shape the future of Africa. And this is evident in the African Union Commission Agenda 2063, uh, which laid out the plans and goals uh, for building and developing the Africa that we all want. There's an increasing uh, business opportunities in the industry. We're also seeing a lot of advancements in space technologies in Africa. Emergence of a lot of commercial companies uh, that are building critical space infrastructure. In addition, space has become a critical tool uh, for diplomacy with African countries. And space is helping to solve uh, some of Africa's critical problems from agriculture to security, to disaster management and monitoring, uh, to urban development. In addition, Several nations are now working closely with Africa to help develop its space program. And in recent years, China has emerged as the leading partner uh, for Africa. We're seeing a lot of collaborations across all industry segments, including communications, head observation, navigation and positioning, as well as space science. Finally, this current dispensation is the beginning of the future for space program development in Africa. And right now, China is well positioned to help shape that future. Thank you very much. Well, that was very succinct. <laughs> uh, well, I think... Uh, uh, I think what you've raised uh, in this report and more generally in, in your remarks is uh, how much of these developments are really driven, being driven by African actors themselves and how this is a very pivotal moment for the development of this technology because there, are, there is so much demand for cooperation, there is so much demand for uh, uh, collaboration on the development of these technologies but also uh, the sharing of knowledge and technology and information itself. And I, I think what you're really achieving in this report is pointing out the gaps that the U.S. could and should be filling. Uh, but of course, you're also highlighting uh, an aspect of this developing technology that many people are not familiar with, which is that China is actually becoming uh, somewhat of a leader in this space uh, on the African continent. And uh, I'm 
I'm curious, uh, Temadaya, if I could um, uh, start with you uh, when we get to the Q&A, if you could uh, tell us a little bit more about what that looks like from the continent. But before we get into uh, questions and answers, I'm going to hand it straight over to Dr. Whedon to uh, share some reflections on, on what we've heard so far. Thank you for that. Um, and, and again, I want to commend the authors on the report. I think it was excellent. Uh, to me, it is um, very unique in this field. I, I've not, I'm, not, I'm not aware of similar research, and I think it really adds a lot of value to those that are looking at these kinds of problems. Um, so my organization, Zikaro Foundation, our focus is twofold. On the one hand, uh, we are focused on how do we use space for all the benefits we've all been talking about and the things the ways that we can use space applications to help improve our daily lives, uh, improve you know, global society. Uh, but at the same time, how do we address the potential long-term sustainability of using space? Uh, as was mentioned, there's a lot more countries getting involved in space. There's a lot more activity, many, many more satellites that are being put up. Uh, just as a raw number, 10 years ago, there was something on the order of 115 or so satellites put into orbit. Just last year, there were nearly 2,500 satellites put into orbit. Uh, radical increase. Um, and, and the projected growth curves are even higher. Now, we're seeing lots more benefits, but the question is, how do we deal with some of those challenges? Uh, and so that is something that I think is we're trying to grapple with. And then you add into the geopolitics of not only this you know, growing tension between the US and China, and let's not forget uh, Russia, a little bit outside of the conversations for today, um, and how do you have uh, just these broader international collaborations to be able to set the framework so that we can all use space like, we're, like we all would like to be able to use into the future. Um, I think one of the things that struck me reading through the report is what a different future this means for the way the U.S. has approached this issue of space collaboration historically. Historically, if you talk to somebody at NASA this government, they would say, well, we're going to collaborate in space with countries and in ways that provide benefits to us, that, that you know, bring a technology or bring funding or bring something to this program we have, whether it's the shuttle program or the space station or, or some remote sensing satellite. And it was very focused on, we're going to do this for this substantive benefit. And I think that has led the U.S. to, frankly, ignore large parts of the world that could have been good opportunities to collaborate. And now we've seen other countries, Europe, but especially China, sort of fill in those gaps. Uh, and in some ways, either identify that there was a gap there to be filled or just have a different approach to collaboration. And that then, of course, has sparked this response in the U.S. by saying, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about this? And in some ways, part of me tends to say, well, I mean, did you not see this coming, right? <laughs> you know? um, but at the same time, there is still a serious issue here. Um, and you know, I am heartened in some ways by seeing there has been a shift underway in the way the United States is approaching some of these questions of space collaboration and partnership and cooperation. But it's, it's a slow change. Uh, and so I, I think this report is going to help identify some areas where there can be a bigger shift towards more concrete changes and, and some concrete goals that are going to benefit both the United States and Africa and hopefully 
better parts of the world. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there, and, and I know we've got a lot of the questions we want to get to throughout the conversation. Thank you very much, Professor Wynn. Uh, Dr. Lin. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that my predecessors have been very succinct <laughs> to offer a slightly longer version of my views, <laughs> if that's all right. Yeah, but thank you for inviting me here. Um, uh, I also want to just state that my brief views do not reflect that of the U.S. Space Force. Um, I, I think the report has offered a very compelling diagnosis that space, space technology has not been a focus of a U.S. policy in Africa. It needs to be. Right? So I guess my feedback is to try to push the report further by asking the next questions to follow. And I think this report needs to be duplicated for Latin America, Middle East, and Southeast Asia. That's certainly a logical extension of this significance of the report. Um, and one way that I've thought about this issue is to think about, um, and I think Timothée will ask about this question earlier, is you know, the report states very clear that African countries have many options at this point. Right? It's not just, oh, we recognize there's a need, we're going to step in and do our hegemonic thing. Right? <laughs> but then we also need to recognize that it's not a question of zero-sum game here. And it's not that you know, we're countering China in some ways. It's more of an issue of, and I ask, tell my students this all the time, is that we have to think about what if China were to succeed in its aspirations? What if it becomes a major player in the space industry in Africa? At the same time, we need to ask the question, what if China were to fail? as a space player, right? So a lot of projects do not come to fruition. And oftentimes in developmental history, we in the West, you know, institutions, governments, end up having to intervene or to help countries recover from the consequences of that. So to think in that direction, I think one thing that's really important, there are two aspects I, I thought sort of was emerging from the report and could be uh, extended further in uh, future research. One is to really be specific about what kinds of effects are we expecting from this growth industry? The economic spillover, spillover effects and the synergistic effects as the report uh, posits are exactly that. They are hypothesized. And it's not entirely demonstrated. And I, of course, you know, this has to do with longer term research. But the question is, how do we expect these projects to play out over time? And the second aspect, which is related to the first, is what are the opportunity costs of using US State Department USAID, USDOD resources to focus on space industries instead of other purposes and tasks. And I think to determine the second one, which is a sort of first step towards strategy, is to think about, to have some initial assessments as to how these things are gonna play out. And so to that, I think the report has a few points which are very well worth developing. Uh, one is there's a very clear recognition that China does not, repeat not, dominate across the board. Right, so this really depends on this unfolding value chain of the space industry. Right, there are many points. Launch market is competitive, and as a member of US Space Force, we're certainly pushing for all launch capabilities over the next few years. Um, space manufacturing is also very competitive. I understand that space you know, satellites are delicate instruments, but frankly, it's not a high-tech instrument. Mm -hmm. right? Many countries can produce satellites. I have college students in Pennsylvania who are producing them in their own backyards. <laughs> so it's a, a matter of where are we competing on this chain. Um, then there's a second point, is the impact of Chinese investment operations remain to be studied. And so we, the report focuses a lot on data pooling implications, right? We have Earth observation, we have Beidou navigation system, we have climate change mitigation usages. 
So it will be very interesting to, to, to get an insight into, for example, the terms of the contract. Right? If we're positing ourselves, the Americans, as the one to offer shared information, open architecture, what exactly are the Chinese being restrictive about and what are they steering these contracts towards? That will be interesting. Second is that as the space industry develops, one of the most important things is space-enabled services. Right? So we talk about training of engineers and operators, Beidou centers in some countries, military operations, domain awareness, security apparatus training, all these sort of subsequent products are hugely important. And one of the interesting ideas in the report is that the Chinese offer this bundling of resources, right? both finance, production, services, and everything else. And the idea is that, that somehow is that would tend to be synergistic. But from our understanding of other fields, other products, that is not necessarily the case. So what I'd like to point to is the example on solar panels. Mm -hmm. uh, for the purpose of the report, I try to actually look up my literature. Um, and it, there's obviously not a lot written, and hence the value of the report. But one thing that's been fairly well studied is the attempt to start solar panel industries in South Africa and other African countries. And this is one of these examples of high-tech sector, which is capital intensive, at least the startup cost. It's got very limited employment opportunities. So if you're looking at sustainability and opportunities for local population, it's not necessarily the industry you invest in. It's got so limited social economic you know, benefits for broader population. It's got very marginal developmental you know, input. So these are some of the limitations of an industry like the space manufacturing as well as solar panels. So that's sort of the basis for comparison. And if you do look at that, I mean, the reports show that, not this particular report, but all the studies on solar panel, shows very limited, very limited impact in terms of developmental and uh, uh, environmental for African countries that have launched these projects. And there are many reasons for that, right? And some of the reasons is regulatory, right? For example, in South Africa, they don't have very good local content requirements. And, you know, even though when they put in local content requirements, uh, Chinese firms through you know, transfer pricing on a mechanism tend to bolster that, but not, not actually delivering uh, the benefits. Uh, there are also issues with the market being limited. You, know, you have very limited capability in terms of te technology and consum consumption. So the market itself is necessarily externally oriented. Um, what usually works is that if you can start small manufacturing firms and then train people in larger firms, but you know, that's a tall order. So what we're looking at, and I think this is the key thing, is that Africa has experienced so many waves of promises of development, technology-driven sometimes, other, otherwise it's industrial policy, trade policy. And the question is, what, how is the space industry different than the previous waves? How can we make it different through US inter, you know, sort of support? We do not want a new de dependencia, you know, sort of dynamic happening. And this is something that perhaps would be expected because in the past, in the Cold War period, uh, space industries joined space clubs, um, precisely because they got particular support from you know, either Soviet Union or United States. Is that going to repeat itself? Right? Are we going to see African countries which essentially do not have clear comparative advantage to space manufacturing, then sort of being attractive at this time due to their geographic location, rare earth minerals, potential contribution to a network effect for Chinese architecture in terms of you know, digital space and, and communications. But what happens when these effects disappear? Right? What happens when 
India and Malaysia are producing the same things. Do we then see a round of protectionism? Do we see countries locked into a lower end sort of industrialization process, which has been seen before, right? Just focusing on what they have resource-wise, but not so much promoting the upgrade. So we, I, I guess the question is then, does the report suggest ways that the US can make a difference when some of these dynamics begin to kick in? And just to conclude, I mean, I do see at least a couple of things we can add in terms of recommendation. One is that, and this is harking back to an area I know more about, which is East Asia. Um, you know, for example, we have Japan, right? Which is taking a lead in the Asian space, uh, space industry by promoting certification and standard setting uh, capabilities for the regional players. And this is something that we can think about, about adding to the list of excellent recommendations in the report, is that we can find a partner, a center that perhaps you know, could, we could help to develop trade policy, standard setting, regulations, you know, these soft power capabilities. So that regardless of the partner involved, the African countries would be better in managing these developmental effects. Second, I think there needs to be an interagency process going, right, between the state, DOD, and various other agencies, because a lot of capabilities are coming online, but what are we offering to our partner is not always coherent. And lastly, we need to think about this interesting thing about and the report clearly shows that China has these sort of cluster of state-owned enterprises and private actors and subcontractors that go into every project. Well, given the fact that the report points out that Africa constitutes 0.7% of global space expenditure, it's not going to be a big priority for SpaceX. How do we then motivate our firms to enter into these markets? Perhaps through the certification programs I mentioned that would reduce the transaction cost for engagement. So these are some of the things I think the report points us towards and we should certainly develop further. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for those reflections. Well, I think, uh, I think we should uh, start by handing back to Temideo and uh, Julie just to um, uh, reflect on some of the, that feedback. And then we'll open it up to questions in the room and online. If anybody has any questions, please start submitting uh, and we'll start gathering those up. But I'll, I'll start with Julie and Temideo. Okay, excellent. Uh, did you want to have Temadayo address the question that you put out initially? Sure, yeah, actually, Temadayo, if you could also speak a, a little bit more to the, um, uh, what the considerations are for African space agencies, either, either as individual agencies or in terms of the multilateral collaborations that currently exist when choosing international partners and, and how it's come to pass that uh, China has become such a significant player in this space. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so to, to talk a little bit about your first question on what, what China is specifically doing, um, there's a lot of work going on around technology development. So uh, developing satellites for, for different African customers. Uh, China has so far built satellites towards um, close to $900 million for African countries. Beyond satellite development, they're developing a lot of uh, ground station infrastructures. Uh, they've done this for Ethiopia, Nigeria, Algeria, just to mention a few countries. Uh, there's also a lot of um, you know, space program financing as well as technology financing. So providing loans um, you know, for satellites. Uh, and we've also seen cases of you know, China actually gifting satellites to, to an African nation. Uh, beyond these, we're seeing uh, a lot of push for the adoption of Beidou uh, navigation and positioning services. 
um, as well as a lot of uh, space applications projects, uh, you know, where, um, you know, through the grant stations that they're installing for African countries, they're able to, you know, provide free satellite data uh, from either, either Chinese government satellites or satellites that, you know, belongs to, um, uh, you know, specific organizations that China is part of. Uh, you know, providing this data for like different African customers. And, and to, to respond a little bit to, um, you know, what, um, you know, Professor, Professor Lee's comment on the specific effect of, you know, China's uh, collaboration with Africa, you know, in the U.S. context. I think um, there are multiple ways to look at this. So first is, let's not look at this as, you know, just the U.S. government. Um, you know, we can look at this from the perspective of, uh, you know, U.S. commercial space institutions also. So take, for example, uh, I think Africa offers a decent business opportunity uh, for global space companies. And, you know, we're already seeing a lot of global space companies, uh, you, you know, doing, doing a lot of business in Africa. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's also evident that a lot of... Um, not just U.S., I think a lot of global space companies are currently struggling. Uh, we've seen several companies that, you know, went public in, like, the U.S., for example, via SPAT, uh, you know, currently struggling. Um, a few of them have had to, uh, you know, declare bankruptcy. So there is a lot of, um, you know, business opportunities in Africa. And, you know, Chinese companies have been capitalizing on this, uh, you know, for several years. And... Uh, it's now that the U.S. Uh, you know, U.S. companies uh, in they're waking up to this reality. Yes, the U.S. Um, space industry is the largest in the world, but for you know specific companies, especially those operating in uh, you know the downstream segment, selling data services, uh, or even those selling communication services, uh, being able to sell these products and services and having. Uh, a chunk of the African markets could actually help a lot of them to, um, you know, stay in business. Beyond this, uh, I think now space diplomacy is, you know, actually influencing and helping with like you know general diplomacy. So, African uh, China is saying that you know one of the ways to come in to build very good relationship with, um, with African institutions, not just China, even Europe. Uh, you know, is realizing this. One of the ways to build solid relationship with Africa, uh, you know, is to actually come in through, through space. And this makes a lot of sense, especially because the African go African governments, you know, African Union, for example, they've specifically identified that, you know, space, this is a critical area, um, you know, that that is a priority to them and that can help them you know, address a lot of the fundamental problems and build the future they want. Uh, and beyond all of this also, uh, for, you know, the effect of what China is doing in Africa and in the, in the U.S. context, we're seeing a lot of push for Chinese products and services. Uh, a good example of this um, is the, the Beidou navigation, uh, you know, system that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, a lot of um, a lot of devices in Africa globally today are already carrying. Uh, they are already being built on this particular infrastructure. Uh, Sir, and, could you, and 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 for China, 
Could you tell our audience members what the Beidou uh, satellite navigation system is, just for people who might not already know what it is? Oh, so this is, uh, you know, China's version of the GPS. Um, so, you know, of course, GPS is ever GPS is global. Uh, you know, maybe for the next decade or two, no one can actually displace the. But there's a lot of push from, you know, the Chinese government to actually push the adoption of Beidou uh, in Africa. In fact, um, you know, they've they've there has been over 14 meetings in the last couple of months. Um, between several Chinese institutions and then different layers of um, different layers in the African Union Commission um, to conceptualize projects and programs that would help with the adoption uh, of, of, of baby, uh, massive adoption of baby in Africa. So these are, um, you know, this may not matter so much, but these are some of the things that would eventually affect uh, you know, U.S. global Germany. So, um, you know, a, a lot of these things may look, uh, you know, they, they may look irrelevant now, but by the time you combine all of these things together, um, you know, into the future, uh, this would definitely shape, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the next uh, couple of years. Um, and to, to answer your um Okay, there was a question about, you know, the African Space Agency and, you know, working with different national governments. Um, one of the ways to, you know, there are 54 African countries and, you know, it may not be realistic to move from one country to another to, uh, you know, figure how ways to work with them. One of the approaches that actually work effectively uh, is working with the African Union Commission um, to you know, conceptualize projects and programs that can be implemented, or that can actually involve uh, you know, if not all of the African countries, for most of the African countries. Uh, and this is also perfect because the African Union Commission is the custodian of the African Space Agency, um, and you know, until the agency becomes fully operational. Uh, I think the African Union Commission is a perfect avenue to build some of this critical relationship. Uh, and lastly, to, to to respond to the question on how the U.S. can actually uh, make a difference, I, I think that um, one of the ways to uh, the U.S. can make a difference is uh, right now there is an opportunity for the U.S. to actually help to shape and promote the use of outer space uh, for, for peaceful use and for good. Um, so whether it's in, uh, you know, we, um, you know, Brian is from Secure World Foundation. Uh, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations around space sustainability now. So maybe this is um, maybe this is a point where the U.S. can come in. Uh, you know, taking space sustainability messages globally because no one is having this conversation on the continent right now. Uh, and the second area is there's also opportunity for the U.S. to work with African institutions um, on areas that actually pertains to you know, both parties. Um, you can work together to address common problems. And this is what we're seeing with uh, you know, cooperation from Europe, for example. So um, you know, uh, the U.S. 
foreign policy towards Africa is mostly around safety and security, you know, political freedom, economic opportunity. Um, and in terms of, you know, security, whether, you know, we're dealing with disaster management or monitoring uh, or, you know, economic prosperity, building, um, you know, critical ecosystem that can facilitate, um, you know, commerce. I think the U.S. can come in through some of these channels, uh, capitalizing on its global space infrastructure to actually push this. It's not all, you know, cooperation with Africa. That is, I mean, I understand that, especially, you know, where, where China is concerned, um, a lot of conversations around China, you know, um, it's, it, it's usually around how China is, for example, taking advantage of African countries. Uh, but, you know, beyond this, there are ways to work with Africa to capitalize on the resources to, um, you know, build commerce. And I think one of the things that China is trying to do now um, that, you know, may actually shape um, the way space program is going to be done in the next decade in Africa is um, is exploring Africa's territory uh, for for satellite launches. You know, they're currently talking to Djibouti to set up, uh, you know, infrastructures to launch satellites from African. So and this is an area that no one else is currently paying attention to in Africa. A lot of the African countries on the equator, they provide uh, you know, very good landscape, uh, you know, that can actually support a lot of, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, satellite launches or even, um, you know, lunar missions. The U.S. is already doing a lot of work with South Africa uh, in capitalizing on its territorial infrastructures to support the U.S. mission. So a lot of work can also be done, uh, you know, with other African countries, you know, capitalizing on the continent, um, uh, on the continent infrastructures and uh, you know geographical locations to support a lot of space mission. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tamindayo. Uh, Julie, did you want to uh, reflect on some of the opening remarks? Ah, uh, yes. Um, I'll say because uh, I know we have questions. In we the do. Chat, what <laughs> have you? Um, so uh, first, thank you. Um, both uh, to Dr. Dr. Whedon and Dr. Lin for uh, your remarks and your reflections on um, the significance on the report and also uh, ways that it could be pushed further. Um, I'll, I'll just address one question um, you know, posed by Dr. Lin, which was, um, you know, what are the opportunity costs for, say, the Department of State, for example, to focus on space? Um, and what would be you know, we can think also about what the opportunity costs would be in building interagency coordination around this, um, moving toward, um, you know, what Dr. Whedon said is a, a very different kind of future um, in terms of how the U.S. engages in, in space-related activities and space diplomacy. And um, in a way, that question kind of, it resonates with um, earlier debates around uh, how to engage with the internet, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or mobile phone technology, even in that way. Um, and um, I think uh, one of the things that we're seeing with the dynamism in the space domain and also its profound integration with, with everyday life, um, hardware, software, hard power, soft power, 
um, is the importance of building out the capability to understand how different actors and entities engage um, through space-based and space-linked technologies, um, much in the same way that it's been crucial to understand how different actors and entities engage via, uh, you know, uh, via cyber technologies, for example. Um, and so I'll just say, I, in the interest of time, I'll just say that, but um, to kind of, if you'll allow me to, instead of actually answering your question directly, to kind of put it in the perspective of, of earlier iterations of this yeah. tech and policy question. Thank you. Well, we've already got some questions online. Uh, if there are any uh, questions in the room, please put your hand up. But I'll, I'll start with what I've got here. Um, to what extent do you see cases like uh, Espacio Lejano Space Station in Argentina as instructive for African countries engaging with China on space programming? I, I have to admit that I'm reading this verbatim because I, I myself do not know uh, what this Espacio Lejano example refers to. So please. Uh, tell us uh, what that refers to in the sure. context of your answer. Uh, and then how can the U.S. strategically align its space-related engagements as well as provide support for African space programs? Okay, great, thank you. Um, so the first one, I love this question because it's a comparative question. <laughs> and I really like it because it's actually how I came to the question of space-related uh, activities um, you know, on the African continent was actually via, um, via my focus on this question in Latin America. Right, um, and it was the cooperation uh, between Latin American uh, space agencies and African space agencies that ultimately, long story short, led to a, the research collaboration that you see culminating in this report today. So um, just a little bit of quick background on the Espacio Lejano. This is a um, ground receiving station that is part of China's deep space research network. So there are a number such stations around the world. Um, I think seven or eight, um, some in polar regions, some aboard ocean-going vessels. And the case in Argentina is particularly provocative because um, it is leased to China for a 50-year term, um, and there is no local oversight mechanism. So it's been critiqued as effectively Argentina handing over a segment of its territory to Chinese sovereignty. And there's been a lot of concern about uh, this ground station being used for other things besides uh, deep space uh, research and, um, and observation. Um, in response to which, uh, the Chinese counterparts have offered assurances that it's not used for these purposes. But again, there, there's no oversight mechanism in place. And so that's essentially, that's a case where you have a little pocket of another sovereign country um, being uh, leased to, to China for their particular space-related purposes. I think that's instructive if we view it in comparison to, say, um, the Chinese satellite and ground station contributions in Ethiopia uh, that we talk about in the report. And so this is a very different situation where you have a collaboration uh, between Chinese and Ethiopian counterparts. Um, again, you have public as well as private sector entities involved here. And one of the outcomes of this agreement was not just the construction of a satellite for Ethiopia, but also the construction of ground receiving stations and capacity building and training for Ethiopian personnel so they can operate it and they can work with their own satellite. Right, so that's two very different approaches. Um, and one of the things to understand also uh, about that is that the case in Argentina is for China's deep space research network. 
and the case in Ethiopia is built very much with Chinese support and collaboration for Ethiopia's space agency. Thank you very much. Uh, and I know that you've uh, addressed this in some of your opening remarks uh, already, but uh, if there was anything else you wanted to add on uh, the U.S.'s ability to strategically align its space-related engagements uh, or support African space programs, mm -hmm. um, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, thank you. And I think actually to, to address this, um, I'll draw on an earlier discussion and um, some insights offered by Tamadayo. I mean, one of the one of the issues here is that uh, the U.S. does not have a sort of clear strategy for engaging uh, with African counterparts in the space domain. And this is in contrast to China, to uh, the European community, and to Russia, right? They have dedicated personnel, dedicated plans that are about specifically engagement with Africa and space. And so that's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's not a kind of there's a, the U.S. doesn't have a clear strategy or a peer strategy to these other uh, programs. And the other observation um, is that uh, U.S. engagement with, um, with Africa with respect to outer space is quite, transparent, tr quite transparently reactive right, in response to uh, China's moves in this foray. And so this is pretty transparent. And it also, the fact that it's reactive is, again, underscores the lack of careful engagement, engagement with the Afri African uh, Union Commission, a lack of engagement with uh, individual African countries in order to really understand um, how both sides can benefit, right? Really underscoring the points that Temedayo has offered us earlier. Thank you. Temedayo, did you want to jump in on any of this? Uh, yes. So, uh, just to, just to add to the last comment, um, you know, talking about the lack of clear strategy, um, you see a good example of this is um, in the last December there was the U.S. Africa Space uh, Space Forum in D.C. Uh, and you know there was a lot of conversation there on, on how the U.S. won walk to Africa, but like nothing concrete came out of there except you know uh, two countries signing the Artemis Accord and. Um, you know, last month there was another, uh, you know, event that was organized in Baku and, you know, a lot of African counterparts were invited again, um, you know, to, to discuss this, you know, the same issue. But the problem is uh, nothing is actually coming out of all of this conversation. Um, and it's already getting to the point where, you know, African leaders are beginning to see engagement with the U.S. as a waste of time, you know, because when you have similar meeting with um, with the European Commission, for example, uh, you know, one held um, in Dakar last month, you know, the meetings are very clear. Um, you know, there are clear objectives, there are clear strategies. Either new programs are being announced, or, or you know, clear deliberations are happening on. You know where the two regions are going to come together to uh, to work together. This security in all of this competition, especially in clear heart come oh, engagements with the U.S. You know has not yet any result. You know, and it's 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 beginning to seem like uh, you know for a lot of leaders, uh, you know, it, it's possible that when future meetings are called like that. 
they may not show up because there's a lack of strategy. So I think for you know for future engagement, it's very critical for the U.S. to for the U.S. government to to work on it. Thank you very much. Well, uh, we're coming up to time soon, but I do want to take the opportunity to uh, bring Dr. Lin and, and Dr. Whedon uh, into this conversation a bit. Firstly, if you have any reflections on, on anything that's been said, but more specifically, Dr. Lin, you, you spoke about the, uh, the concern around space clubs as they existed in the Cold War and how this might be growing. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on uh, um, either uh, how we might avoid that if, if that needs to be avoided uh, or indeed areas where there are perhaps even overlapping interests between uh, the US uh, and China or, or any foreign counterparts um, uh, over yes. the developments of this, this technology. Uh, and uh, Dr. Whedon, I'm curious, uh, given your own background and expertise, whether um, you have any insights on why the US has been lacking in this <laughs> relationship with Africa. Uh, when it matters so much. Well, I'll start with Dr. Lin. Well, thank you. I'm going to start off with, um, in response to uh, Tim Dale's uh, last point, is that in referencing us to European countries, I mean, if you were to read the strategies of Britain or France on uh, space strategies, they're very clearly geared to commercial gains. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we do not do simply because our, we have bigger fish to fry. Like mm -hmm. we have a bigger stake in a lot of issues. But I think what's really important is that we do need to steer toward geoeconomic understanding of what we can do with African countries that are mutually beneficial. And one of the key things I try to emphasize is that if you look at the space industry, right, in terms of launches last year, 80% was SpaceX, 10% was Chinese, and then the rest of 10% was the rest of the world. And then space aerospace industries probably among top five in terms of industries that are most susceptible to things like pandemic and logistics disruptions. So we're talking about very volatile market that seems to be growing, but could very easily shrink or consolidate in the near future. What are we doing to sort of provide the market intel and the governance support to try to make this a more accessible market for Africa and, and for countries that are interested in making this sustainable and equitable? Right, this is, I think that's the premise that we need to start. Yeah, thank you. So as to why the U.S. hasn't done this sooner, uh, you know, I think partly keep in mind there's always been two parts to the U.S. space program. There was the public facing, which was NASA and all the space people, pur peaceful purposes, all that kind of stuff. But there's always been this NASA security program that it sometimes was bigger than the public program, but was very behind the scenes, either deliberately or, or just sort of not talked about. Um, and on, on the national security side, Historically, the U.S. has done a very much go-it-alone approach. Mm -hmm. Even with our close allies, the Five Eyes, that we collaborate with in many other areas, up until very recently, we're not pulled into that for collaboration. Mm -hmm. So on, on the whole national security side of things, the U.S. just didn't work with anybody <laughs> historically on that. Um, on the, the public-facing, you know, NASA, peaceful purposes, that historically was linked to the Cold War space race, uh, the battle for prestige with the Soviet Union. And there, there was a strong focus on, you know, big projects that we could go, we could use to show off sort of American superiority um, and, and again, prestige and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then that shifted to how do we sustain these things with things like the shuttle program and the International Space Station where the U.S. is bringing in partners that could contribute significantly to those projects mm. that had countries like 
Russia and, and Canada and, and others that had technology of their own to contribute to the program. There just wasn't this vision of a broader strategy of, of how to bring in more countries. Um, so I, again, I think that is changing. I, I think that there's, there's recognition that needs to change, uh, but it is gonna take a while for this government to kind of build in this new, not only this new mentality, but just the capacity to go off and, and, and collaborate with a broader set of countries in different ways than they have in the past. Thank you very much. Well, look, I'm going to finish with one closing question uh, for, for the panel at large, uh, which, and, and then please uh, throw in any closing remarks you'd like to make. But the final question is, uh, to what extent should we be concerned about the dual-use applications of these uh, satellites uh, and, and technologies that China is developing with uh, African nations? Uh, so uh, I'll quickly start and I'll just say, I, I mean, I'm increasingly of the opinion that dual use is not the right way to frame this because pretty much everything in space is, has both functions, right? Um, you know, historically on this question of weaponization and militarization, the debate multilaterally within the UN has been on banning the placement of space weapons or, or you know, preventing an arms race in outer space and a strong focus on things. Uh, objects, technologies, that has shifted recently. There has been a shift in the last few years to talking more about behaviors in space mm -hmm. because the behavior is what separates how you use something, right? You can certainly use a car as a weapon if you wanted to, but we all know that it also has huge amount of, of, of purposes that are not related to, to warfare. Um, so that shift has happened within the context of what was known as this open-ended working group on reducing space threats that the UN held over the last couple of years. Um, what was striking about that conversation is something on the order of 70 countries participated in about 50 made statements, far more than have contributed in the past to similar discussions on these mm -hmm. topics in the UN. Uh, so that, that, that program, that process concluded earlier this year. Uh, UNGA just voted to have a, a follow-up discussion starting in 2025 um, on this further discussion of norms and these behaviors. So I think that's where things are going to go. To me, that is a more productive discussion than trying to delineate what technologies are dual use or military only or that sort of thing. Thank you. I, just, I absolutely agree with you, Brian. Um, just to add a, a secondary point, is going back to uh, Professor Deborah Brottingham's earlier study about sort of ports and debt diplomacy in Africa, I think one thing for us to keep in mind is that this dual use needs to be disaggregated. So you need to break it down. Are we talking about contracts? Are we talking about you know, certain purposes? Are we, uh, these effects need to be clarified before we make certain assumptions about you know, what the impact will be on our strategy. So that's, yeah. Thank you. Tim I'll take the last word. All right, only a certain, that's right, Tim and I. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just want to say that, uh, you know, the U.S. space strategy towards Africa should not be primarily influenced by what China is doing, um, you know, because, uh, you know, I think if it is influenced by what China is doing, uh, the U.S. might actually lose the power. Thank you. Uh, and uh, building on Brian's excellent point, I mean, this is a dual-use device. <laughs> this is arguably already militarized. And it's a worst case scenario that it becomes a weapon. 
right? And so I, t I think um, that should help us think about space technology as well. This is a space technology. It is space integrated, space linked, probably linked to five, six, seven, eight satellites right now as we speak. And so the, I think this is a good closing thought for the USIP. I mean, focus on peace on all fronts, peace for its own sake, peace as its own, as an end in itself, so the tech isn't weaponized, so the behaviors are good and constructive. Fabulous. Well, look, thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for coming to attend this. Uh, thank you to everyone online. Uh, thank you especially uh, to my colleagues in the China team and the Africa Center for uh, mm -hmm. uh, the collaborations to, to make this possible. And, and thank you especially to Lindy Tsering to, for, for, for bringing us all together here today for mm -hmm. this report launch. Uh, but of course, thank you especially to Temidayo and Julie for this fantastic report. And I hope you will read it. Uh, you can find it on our website. And you can catch up on the beginning of this uh, event. If you missed the beginning, it'll be posted on our webpage uh, through YouTube. So thank you again, and, and please join me in thanking our discussants. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Mm -hmm.